the championship loved by many, hated by few, respected by all, second to none. Second to none. Well, you know, we are getting off to a late start on this show. We, I got here earlier today and, uh, well, at the Fishbowl Radio Network, uh, international network in beautiful downtown Euless, Texas, the elevators had issues. I got on a, Gabe, you, you probably saw that, and it's, they had a big sign that said elevator has issues and i'll go like wow like what kind of issues does the elevator have you know i mean you know instead of just saying the elevator didn't work they said the elevator has issues like well the elevator is late on paying bills what's the deal with the elevator i mean so anyway uh i finally got up here uh but you know it's been a busy week in uh, the Commission Nation Network, the real CNN, because we are always in your hood, spending and sending a shout out uh, to the people in the hood of Oak Cliff. That's my hood. I was over at Pan African Connection this past week, and I'd uh, like to send a hello to those fine people over there, uh, because that's where I received my education. That's true. Carter High School in the hood, David W. Carter High School, and also El Centro. Uh, and all of those degrees at SMU, uh, bachelor's, master's, doctors, all that kind of stuff. But it's always good to come back to the hood because, hey, that's where it all started. That's where you have your roots from. That's where it starts at. So what's going to happen next week on July the 8th, I will be at Pan-African Connection uh, doing a, uh, well, a moderating a, a show, well, not a show, moderating a panel discussion regarding Buffalo Soldiers. I believe, uh, Gabe, I think we have uh, uh, the Buffalo Soldiers uh, uh, a digital flyer. If we have that, you could put that one up. That'd be great because that's what we're going to be talking about today. And uh, we have calling in today. We have Sam Allen, who's in the uh, in the movie, the documentary. And we have Dr. Jacqueline Cowell. They'll be calling in today. They won't be here in the studio. Uh, you know, we're transitioning from uh, uh, from the podcast to making documentaries and uh, doing those kind of things. Not making them. Co-executive producer. I only camera I know how to use is my iPhone camera. But I know how to, you know, make some things happen behind the scenes. That's what producers, executive producers do. So uh, we were here this past week, I believe we were here, uh, in which we had Soul and Salsa magazine as they transitioned to, uh, well, they transitioned to films, and I thought it would only be best that I would follow that lead and transition to films as well. So that's what's new, Commission Nation Network. We're getting rid of the podcast, transitioning. We're not getting rid of it totally. We said this would be our last year of being totally in the podcast we're going to be doing some other things, and the, these things are you will be seeing them uh, uh, in your living room. That's right. If you have a TV set, uh, well, you do have a TV set. It's pretty, well, pretty well a smart TV set at that. But uh, you'll see those things as well. Uh, Bid for Love Two is out. Uh, it, it's coming out rather, and I'm in that one. I got another credit in that one. So we're just amassing credits, uh, uh, acting credits. I don't act. I only play myself. But, uh, you know, Bid for Love, too, and also uh, the executive producing. No, those are things that's going on. So we would uh, be amiss to uh, say hello 
to uh, people who are uh, going through trials and tribulations. Uh, Sammy G. I'd like to send a special shout out to her and she's been going through uh, her illness lately so I uh, would like to send a hello to her she's uh, on our mind I was just talking about it just a few minutes ago before we got on there but now we have a caller to call in now I think we have a caller so I'm going to glance over here to Gabe because he's right over to uh, my uh, left or your right or my right or your left depending on which way you're looking at it caller are you there yes all right, we got Sam Allen online with us. Sam, how you doing, man? Doing great. Good, good, good. I just did an intro to Buffalo Soldiers. Tell me what this documentary is about. It tells the story of the soldiers, the 24th Infantry, which were Buffalo Soldiers, in, um, in Houston, Texas. Had a riot there, and it seemed like the riot was caused by the 24th Infantry. That's not true, but then that's what the newspaper reported. And they, uh, these men were, were court-martialed in San Antonio, 13 of them. And all but a few of them were found guilty of conspiracy, insurrection, and a few other charges. But that's what this uh, documentary is about. To tell that side of the story, which may or may not have been uncovered during that trial. Now, how did you get involved in this? Well, actually, I was invited to go along to uh, um, San Antonio on the anniversary a couple of years ago by a group of uh, uh, people called the, actually, a group of teenagers uh, that was sponsored over in Garland. Uh, and he invited us down there because they knew we do some, we don't do reenactment, what we do is living history of the Buffalo Soldiers. And they wanted us to give an idea of what we thought about uh, the trial and the information that we put forward. And we got invited. Um, so we went, we learned, we listened. And I came away, I came away angry, actually. Now. Now, you are a Buffalo soldier, are you not? Because every time I've seen you, 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 you look like a soldier. Tell me about that background. <laughs> well, uh, my brother and I started, uh, brother actually started before. We were both uh, uh, former police officers. I'm retired, and he uh, he's working juvenile or something. But we were both doing basically some of the same stuff. I had worked with, uh, with Garland in the, in the community unit over there. And at the time, I was the only black police officer over there. And, of course, you know how that is. They, they had the person of color. They talked to the people where they thought were problem uh, individual. And all our crime was coming there. So I was there as a token black. Uh, I did what I could do, but I'm no token. And that is changed the, the idea of what they thought about us as the people of color. Anyway, we we got in the, we started doing that, and as uh, a policeman, I kept putting people in jail and kept getting them out of jail, or not getting them out of jail, but seeing them come out of jail. And we saw the kids, or their kids, and even their grandchildren, uh, getting in and out of jail. And I said, man, this is just not right. We need to do something. So we started talking about how it was then. We're talking about the Buffalo Soldiers and how it is now. So we started teaching them what these guys went through and how we had over 120,000 of them that fought in both the Civil War and what they referred to as the Indian Wars. Had very low alcoholism, very low 
drug addiction, very low, if any at all, and we couldn't find it. I'm sure there was one or two of, of, of men going AWOL. Now, you really opened up once you started talking about that, man. You must really, yeah. really like that, man. Well, it's, uh, again, it was something I could do and didn't have to arrest anybody, and we could put our same, what we grew up with, our same walls and teach these young people that. I mean, but that's not the only thing we taught them. We, we worked with them on uh, life skills. You know, some of these kids had never been to a, a real restaurant other than McDonald's. They did not know how to use a knife and fork to eat. Um, did not have, know how to sit and just enjoy that meal peacefully and have discussion at the meal table. And, you know, uh, you, you're not quite as old as me, Commissioner, but back in the day, that's where we got all our information is at the table. We sit there and we listen to our elders talk about what was going on, what the world was like, and we learned from that. And in the, today's time, that didn't happen. So, yeah, about 30 or 40 years we've been at this. And you, uh, you dress up as a Buffalo soldier. Am I mistaken? Or is that right? That is, that is correct. We, we modeled the uniform. They, they changed uniform day. The military changed uniform uh, uh, during the uh, First World War. But before then, they had the war uniforms, two colors, light blue and, and, and um, a dark blue. The sack jacket, which one they used, was, was a dark blue. And then they went to the, the light blue jacket, and these things are hot. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're really hot. And underneath that, they had those uh, uh, duffies or insulated underwear. And on the plains of Texas, man, you could sweat gallons of water. However, if you caught a breeze, it would cool you down. So at the time, that worked, and it worked well. But we were those that would try to look like, talk like, act like. We'll take the persona of an individual that we know that was in there during, um, during the time of 1886 um, up until 1951. I think that's when the last unit was broke up. Uh, and we uh, we take a, an individual. Actually, the the person I talked to or portrayed was a guy named uh, Samuel Allen. This guy reminded me so much of me, so I, I could act the part, play the part, or be a part. Um, at the time, if you were a soldier in the in the uh, in that army, you could only advance up to a, a staff sergeant. And some got lucky and actually made sergeant major. But everything else, from first lieutenant on up, had to be a white officer. So Sergeant Samuel always got in some kind of trouble. And, and usually it was uh, disciplining his men and the men that were under him or protecting them, going into t town and getting them out of trouble, and he'd wind up beating up somebody. So they would bust him back down. But when the battle started, guess who they promoted back up? Sergeant Samuel. Okay, okay. Now you bring, that, leader. you bring that energy into into this documentary as well then, right? Yes, yes sir, I tried. Uh, now I don't portray anybody on this documentary. This was the uh, uh, during World War One, uh, so there were no there were there were, there were blacks in the cavalry then, but most of these guys were in fact all of them were infantry, uh, and they were sent there to uh, to Houston to build a fort or a campground for training. So it's a little bit different from what we did and what we're doing and what we talked about. Okay, all right. How long did you do this? Uh, how long did you do the documentary? How long were you? How long we did you have not finished yet? You hadn't finished it yet? In fact, nope. We're getting started on it. And we're trying to make this um, actually a series of it. And that is, uh, but it takes a little while and it takes a little money. And we want to get people interested in, uh, in it first. So if they want to donate money, 
school tickets because it gets quite expensive. Now, I understand you've been out raising some money for this. You've been talking to Bill Gates and people like that. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> you know, I, I try not to do a cold turkey thing, so I, I send letters to those individuals that are responsible for it. And we're, we're not going to work off any grants. It takes too long to do that. But I know there's somebody out there, individually commission, that would just come up with $200,000 to, to fund this. Okay, let's try to put our heads together. But meanwhile, we will be together next next week, July 8th. Yes, sir. At Pan-African Connection. And what we have done uh, here, we've shared this on the Commission Radio Show, and we'll tag you on it as well so you'll be able to replay your portion. You started for us right here. You know, you was a, a sergeant. You know, we, 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 we put you first, man. So uh, thank you. <laughs> All right, but you, you knew, and, and I tell you, don't get me started because i got the story to tell for over 30 years' worth. Well, hey, you know what? I'm going to invite you back on the show so you can be in the studio, you know, because we did this one on the fly because you got, you got that call this morning from the commission saying, I need you. So you answered the call. So I uh, thank you very much. I appreciate you, brother. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. All right. See you next week. All right. All right. Take care. Right, Commission Radio Show, Making Waves and Making Scenes as well. We have the flyer that's up right there. It's right over there that you can see it. And uh, uh, you can go ahead and wait. It went the other way. I got to point this way. Okay. You know, it trips me out. You know, I'm looking at this on the screen here, and I point that way, and it's over on the other side. Everybody at home going like, you don't even know where this is at. So I, I will go ahead and do it right this time. It's right over here. Okay, now let me look at the feed now. All right. There. I just did it because it's a delayed reaction on the feed. So uh, I, I'm going to keep doing that uh, for the rest of the show. So uh, Pan-African Connection, which is on Marcellus Avenue, in the hood. That's what I said. That's how I opened it up. And I, I said everything intentionally. It, it it has connections with this. It's it's just as intentional as the Texas heat is. So, Gabe, what do you think about that? I know you're not mic'd up on that uh, over there. So, if you can get mic'd up, you can. You, know, you have to use your big boy voice or whatever. So, we have uh, Jacqueline Cow, Doctor Jacqueline Cow, uh, calling in in a few minutes, and she will be. Uh, I believe she's a, a producer for this. She'll tell us. All the uh, all of the info dropped to four one one. They don't say that no more, do they? No, no, no. no, no, they, don't do no. no they don't do that no more. I ain't gonna lie. Ain't nobody do that. Nah. Still stoned around from something. Yeah, by old people on, on the commission <laughs> show. That's, that's why it's thrown around. So you know, but that's what it is. You know, yeah. As, but you notice I didn't say it like it was like a hip thing because you know it's really funny when you see old people really try to be hip. Yeah. And you know they're not, yeah. but you know you just go along with them. Like yeah, he's like don't don't even know that didn't go out. Like using the word groovy, nobody says that. That's man, nah, that's crazy. Yeah, that is really crazy. Groovy it's groovy. It's really crazy, yeah. man. We left that. Yeah. So did you know about the Buffalo Soldiers? The um, I mean honestly, my I don't know if there's a connection, but the furthest thing I knew about the Buffalo Soldiers was the Bob Marley song. Yeah. So yeah, you know, yeah. Um, you, Pull that one up and yeah. just play it just for a little bit. 
And then we'll see how long Facebook will leave it up for us. <laughs> because I, 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 I've been noticing Facebook, they'll take my stuff down in a minute. Mm-hmm. And I, other people have concerts on and stuff, man. Yeah. Concerts. You can hear one song over with, two songs over with. And then all of a sudden it's like, man, I'm hearing the whole thing, man. Yeah. But, you know, that's, uh, that's what I've been doing. Uh, been hanging out with Lindell Singleton, and uh, he's he's doing Buffalo Soldiers. We have this other one called uh, uh, Unforgivable, the uh, uh, story about opioids in America. Uh, that one I was on set for that one yesterday, and I was also with Alan Thompson, uh, who has a documentary coming out on hidden history. It's talking about lynchings in Dallas. So that's what we're doing. All right, we got the next caller in now. Caller, are you there? Yes. All right, we're just on time, just on time. You know, Gabe, when you're dealing with people in academia, <laughs> they know 440 is 440. <laughs> what time is it, Gabe? It is 440. 440. It's so like, you know, it, it, it's the professor, a tenured professor or not. So we have a tenured professor here. You want to introduce yourself? Well, sure. I'm Dr. Jacqueline Cook-Kyle. Um, my focus of study is family studies and the science of the family. All right, all right. Graduate of Texas Women's University, and I currently adjunct for the University of North Texas at Dallas. All right, UNTD. All right. Yes. All right. So glad to have you here on the show, uh, on the podcast and everything. You know, uh, since we had you uh, coming in at, at 440, uh, we want to make sure we give you as much time as as possible to talk. Uh, as long as you want to talk uh, about your efforts in, in the, the documentary that's out. What is the full name of the documentary? Betrayal of Justice. A Buffalo Soldier story. Okay, we had Sergeant Sam Allen on earlier. Uh, he was uh, giving us how he got started in it. How did you get started in this? Well, it was truly um, divine intervention. I was at a festival for older Americans promoting health and wellness, and I met Director Lindell Singleton. We struck up a conversation. He was interested in the nonprofit that I I, um, I have, Sisters with a PhD. We talk about health and we also are interested in educating the community through mentoring, through uh, health and wellness, and through helping our young people understand the importance of education. From that, I met a, a gentleman who was heading a program for the Bowtie Boys, mentoring young black men, and we were interested. I brought it back to the other sisters, and uh, we began by supporting the young men in the Bowtie Boys section. They were looking to go to Fort Sam Houston to visit the grave site of the Buffalo Soldiers. All right. Bowtie Boys. Now, you know, yeah. I, I've heard of your work before I met you personally. Okay. So, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's when you're in the community and you're doing things, you know, a, a lot of people will say, not a lot, you will hear people say, you will hear people say, nobody's doing anything. And I'm always taken aback when people say there's nobody doing anything. That means that person probably isn't involved in it as much as they should be. Because if you're involved in it, you know the work of other people and what they're doing. You may not know them personally, but you know of the work that other people are doing. It's a nation of millions that that are working, and you're part of that nation. So I appreciate you doing what you're doing with that. So how is it working with Lindell Singleton? It's, it's, it's wonderful. He is so focused and has a vision and we have a team that share that vision, and I am one of the cheerleaders, <laughs> the cheerleader, the head cheerleader for this for this project. Now you're doing this project, and you're doing your mentoring program, and yes. you, you're still professing as well. How much sleep are you getting? Well. I go to bed early and uh, I rise early. So in between, I get enough sleep. I think that I do. Okay. You just focus on what you're doing. Now, right. I, I compartmentalize the things that have to be done and I shift compartments. Okay. All right. Now, what are you anticipating happening with this documentary? I'm anticipating an awakening for our people, for all people. This documentary is going to look into what's happening in our community and reflect on what was happening in 1917. There's certainly a comparison in some of the things that we are seeing today. We're seeing justice or injustice. We are seeing people who are being fair, as I've stated, and unfair. And then there's still questions. We are unearthing truth about what has happened in this country and what's still happening today. So there's definitely a comparison there. Uh, sounds like you're doing a great job on that. And, and I understand that we're going to be with each other next week as well at Pan-African Connection. Yes, and that's exciting. Uh, we are very pleased that the owner of Pan-African has decided that she invited us. She embraced us. I just shared some of the information about, about it, and she said, great, I'd love to have a screening here. And I've been speaking with her all week. She's been advertising. She's certainly a benefit to the community, and everybody knows her and loves her. So I'm real honored that she chose to have us come, and it will be on July 8th at 1 o'clock at Pan-African Connection. Well, I'll be there, and I, I'm so deeply honored that you gave me the opportunity to moderate the, the uh, discussion. Who, who else is going to be uh, on stage with us? Well, we will have Sam Allen. We will have Pastor Tatum out of Newmount Rose and I will be there. Okay. All right. And I So I, we have a team. We have a team. We'll have Alex Palmer there 
he will be taking care of all the things that have to do with the technology and we're we're ready we're ready to have everyone come out i i can't i can't wait i can't wait either as a matter of fact i went to uh pan-african connection yesterday and just to walk around and 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 get reacquainted uh with the people over there as i was uh, saying earlier on this podcast that's where i got some of my education where i received some of my education from pan-african connection and black images book school so this this gives me opportunity to repay an old debt so i appreciate you for giving me that opportunity to uh well to be with you guys next week july 8th at one o'clock p.m yes and we want we want the seats all filled we want everybody to come out because everything you read in a book is not true everything that you read has been written by someone but sometimes the full story has not been told there are things that that have not been mentioned well, so, so this go ahead i interrupt an opportunity to learn something well, I am again. I'm very honored to uh, to be there with you in the Pan African Connection. You will definitely uh, you will get lost in history, and books, and 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 knowledge. And that's what that's what this is about. Drop introducing the topic and dropping it. And that's what we're going to do on July eighth, one o'clock p.m. One o'clock p.m. So uh, I will be there, and I will be here. Uh, after uh, the uh, the panel discussion is over with, to give the folks that are listening to us now that should be with us on Saturday, in case they couldn't make it, they will uh well they'll understand what they missed because I'm gonna keep talking about how great of an event it was and that they should be there. But you shouldn't miss it. You should be there with us July 8th at one o'clock p.m. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Doctor. Doctor Cal, I appreciate you for calling in. So we will talk soon, and thank you again for tuning in. And we will go ahead and tag you on, uh, well, on Facebook. So it'll be on your page uh, pretty soon, and you'll be able to share it to uh, your colleagues and your friends as well. Thank you. I've shared it, and we'll reshare it. I look forward to receiving it. Thank you. Take care then. Thank you for having me, and I look forward to seeing everybody on Saturday. All right. One o'clock. See you guys later. Hey, this is Cheryl Smith, and when I'm looking for news and information, I tune in to The Commit on Saturday. I got so much trouble on my mind. I'm Pastor Freddie Haynes. I listen to the Commission Show on the Fishbowl for my social activism information so I can be a better agitator. Ha <laughs>
Hey, you know, whenever I want good Cajun food, I go to Thibodeau's, located at 107 North Cedar Ridge in Duncanville, Texas. They're really hot, just like the Commish Radio Show in Thibodeau's. Hot is this gumbo. We will see you later at Thibodeau's. Who was that masked man? You mean you don't know? I was no masked man. That was the Commish. Saturdays from 5 to 6 p.m. on the Fishbowl Radio Network. Hey, this is Loretta Dennis, co-hostess of Glory Rising, broadcasting live each week on Mondays from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. Central Standard Time at Fishbowl Radio Network Studios at Globe Life Park in Arlington, Texas. Log on to hear what God has to say about His glory and how we can let others see His glory in us. Be sure to log in each week on Monday at 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. Central Standard Time to catch the show Glory Rising on Fishbowl Radio Network. Jump in.
the championship. Loved by many, hated by a few, respected by all, second to none, second to none. like to thank everyone that tuned in for the first hour of the Commission Radio Show in which we talked about the Buffalo Soldiers documentary that's out right now. And uh, we are here again, uh, back live again, and I am... Looking here, it says gift stars to support Ed Gray. There's all kind of ways in which you can support Ed Gray. Uh, not me personally, but the radio show. Because that's one of the things we like to do is make sure that the Commish radio show and the Fishbowl radio network that we have to pay money to be here. We want to make sure Fishbowl gets their money. Yep. We want to make sure they get their money. So we want to make sure that, uh, well, I don't own uh, anything other than my good name and I lease the airtime. So leasing the airtime costs money. So if you see right above, right there, that's how you can give to the Commish Radio Show with Cash App. And then we'll convert that over to uh, making sure we have the airtime paid for. So that. And also give stars to support. Right there it says give stars to support. That's how Facebook does things in order if you want to support digital creators. The same digital creators that they go ahead and take off the air, such as myself, when I put my own music out there and they say I can't play my own music. That's the reason why we want you to go to YouTube. YouTube. Go to YouTube and also subscribe to the Commission Radio Show on YouTube commission radio so go to youtube subscribe to that and then you'll see these shows there as well i want to take i want to take them to court you know and i i, I just want to take them to court because the way they doing the brothers are wrong i mean you know i thought i was free it was juneteenth and boom not even free it's fourth of july coming up maybe i get freedom on the fourth of july liberty on the fourth of july maybe i should take this to the supreme court Maybe I should take it to the Supreme Court. What do you think, folks? Do you think I should take it to the Supreme Court? I mean, what? I shouldn't? Gabe has just sent me word that I shouldn't take it to the Supreme Court. Because, well, they got people like Clarence Stephen Thomas on the Yep, Stephen, uh, from Django. He has a new job now. He's working as a Supreme Court justice. We decided not to use the clips from Django because, well, if they won't allow me to play my own music on Facebook, I'm pretty sure they would not like the usage of the N-word to be said so often as it is in Django to be played on. But what we do, and what we do have, is a clip of Clarence Thomas explaining about affirmative action. And you know what he did this past week? He voted against affirmative action. Affirmative action does not favor one group of people over another. It just gives consideration to people who were not placed in a favorable situation. Gives consideration. It doesn't give you a job. It doesn't give you education. It gives you consideration for those jobs and for those education. But meanwhile, let's see what Clarence Thomas has to say about that. Let's be a fly on the wall. Mr. Park, um, I've heard the word uh, diversity quite a few times, and I don't have a clue what it means. Uh, It seems to mean everything for everyone. 
uh, the and I'd like you first. You did uh, give some examples in your opening remarks, but I'd like you to give us a specific definition of diversity in the context of the University of North Carolina. And I'd also like you to give us a uh, a clear idea of exactly uh, what the educational benefits of diversity at the University of North Carolina uh, would be. Yes, Your Honor. So first, we define diversity the way this court has in its court's precedence, which means a broadly diverse set of criteria that extends to all different backgrounds and perspectives and not solely limited to race. And there's a factual finding in this record, PEDAP 113, that there are many different diversity factors that are considered as a greater factor in our admissions process than race. We have a particular interest in recruiting and enrolling rural North Carolinians. In the last incoming class, four out of every ten students who entered the campus doors were from rural North Carolina. One out of every twelve students is has a military affiliation, including the most veterans on campus since World War II. Uh, and so uh, we value diversity of all different kinds and all the ways uh, that uh, people differ in our society. Uh, on, on, on the educational benefits question, Your Honor, uh, I, I don't think it's actually disputed here that there are real and meaningful educational benefits that come with diversity of, of all kinds. Uh, SFFA's own expert, uh, this is on JA 546, uh, conceded and agreed enthusiastically, in fact, on the stand, uh, that uh, a racially diverse and a diverse, uh, uh, diversity of all kinds leads to, quote, a deeper and richer learning environment, uh, leads to more creative thinking and exchange of ideas, and critically reduce bias between people of different backgrounds and not solely different racial backgrounds. Uh, you still haven't given me the educational benefits. Um, the um, I didn't go to racially diverse schools, um, but there were educational benefits. And I'd like you to tell me expressly when a parent sends a kid to college that they don't necessarily send them there to have fun or feel good or anything like that. They send them there to learn physics or chemistry or whatever they're studying. So tell me what the educational benefits are. So there's three main buckets, Your Honor, and uh, the first and I think most pertinent to the question that you asked is uh, the actual truth-seeking function of learning in a diverse environment. I would direct the court to the Major American Businesses Brief, which uh, discusses a whole extensive, rigorous, peer-reviewed literature that diverse groups of people actually perform at a higher level. So the most concrete possible scenario is, is stock trading. And there are studies that find that racially diverse groups of people making trading decisions perform at a higher level, make more efficient trading decisions. And there you heard it. You, you heard it. We were like in the courtroom, right? And we just checked out what Stephen is, is, is. I'm sorry. I keep saying it. Clarence Tom, Judge Justice Thomas has said I have to be correct. I, I know people who personally know Stephen. I'm, I'm sorry. I keep calling him Stephen. Like he's, you know, my uncle. Uncle, I, I hate to use, use that word. But he is. He is. I mean, you heard it for yourself. You heard it. This, this guy here freely admitted when he initially went into school how affirmative action helped him 
And now you hear what he's doing. He's carrying the water of the oppressor so doggone well that they said, well, hell, we didn't know he was going to do that. They even feeling bad for us if they could. But they go like, what the hell is going on? What? Well, damn. <laughs> so, you know, that's that's what's going on here. So we have to do something about this. And what do we have to do about this? There's nothing we can do. Supreme Court justices have a lifetime appointment. It's it's just it's just horrible that we're going to be stuck with this guy who has the same seat that Thurgood Marshall had. If you're talking about quotas, there's one right there. If there's a black seat and there's a black seat because Thurgood Marshall had it, well, President Bush, the first one, President Bush appointed him to be Clarence Thomas to sit in that seat. Now, if it was a black person that was president, which we had, President Obama, he appointed another black person to succeed another black person, they would be raising holy hell for that. But they didn't do that. But when you had a white president pick a black Uncle Tom to succeed a liberal to moderate black justice, Supreme Court judge, then that's a race card. They pulled a race card. They pulled a race card, but nobody called them on it. But I can't call them on it. The card's been played. It was played 20, 30 years ago. Uh, do you have that picture of, 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 of Judge, Judge Thomas? The, the one you get, you have it? Okay, he's trying to find it, you know. But it's one that you've seen uh, a, a lot that's going on right now. So we want to uh, play some uh, music right quick. And then when we come back, we will bring on the heat. Because we only have an hour for this show. And we want to go through in sequential order. We want to talk about the 4th of July. And we also want to talk about a couple of other things as well. But we want to bring the heat on. After we uh, after we play some of our local music, so let's play some local music. You Gabe, you got the mad skills, boy. Look at that. Yeah, I see that, man. You got the the music in the background with the the air gray uh, uh, that the, the air gray sign uh, up and everything. So you know, I want to send a shout out to the folks from Gray Vision Twenty Twenty. I've got a new team that's going on. Uh, we got well, we we send a shout out now. We got Cheryl Gillespie who is uh, she puts together those graphics that we have right now. 
and she's getting some comments on those graphics. Put that graphic back up again, man. I got you. Man, that's that's a, I like that graphic, man. That, that's that's all that, man. Hit that music again with that, man. I, I'm <laughs> I, I'm falling in love with me all over again, man. <laughs> yeah, do it again. Yeah, yeah. That's where we need to go out with that one too, man. Yeah, I like that, man. There you go. There we go. Yeah, that, that, that's good, man. On that, that is that is live there, man. Okay, now bring me back in now. Yeah, so we want to bring in with the heat now. We want to talk about Governor Greg Abbott now, and uh, you know, at Greyhaven, um, you know, folks over in, in my community now have new sidewalks and everything because I got sidewalks. I was like Oprah Winfrey. Everybody get a new sidewalk. So, you know, we had that going on, but I was like checking them out. And I show you you guys if you follow me on on Facebook, which clearly some of you do. But, you know, there's a there we got these workers out there. And they've been working all week long in this Texas heat, 100 degrees plus. And Greg Abbott says that, "Hey, look, you know, he says that they don't deserve a break. You know, it, well, they can get a break if they're if the people work for them. Say you have a break, you have water anytime you want to. But see, some cities have said that uh, some folks don't get breaks, so they had an ordinance. True, true story. They have an ordinance in which the city ordinance says that we're directing all of the contractors in our city to direct their people to take breaks. That's a humane thing to do. Texas heat, people get breaks. They get breaks. Construction workers, they get breaks. Greg Abbott said no. Mm-mm. No, Greg Abbott says no. No breaks. No breaks. And the problem with no breaks are people are falling out. People are falling out. So the construction workers that work in my neighborhood, they're not falling out or anything like that. But they're taking their breaks like they should take. But, you know, I don't see how somebody like Greg Abbott is not compassionate about people deserving something as simple as some water. Now, this past week, we had a gentleman in Dallas, the Dallas-Fort Worth area, who died of heat stroke. Uh, and he himself, uh, well, we have the video that was on TikTok. They put it on TikTok. No, you're not going to see him falling out or anything like that. But this was uh, his family talking about him. Let's roll that. Postal worker who died in the sweltering Texas heat wave sent his wife haunting text messages the day he collapsed and died. Can you read the text to me? Morning, sweetheart. Love you. Have a wonderful day. Good morning, baby. Love you. It's 88 degrees outside. Be careful going out. Those texts came in at 648 in the morning. It was the last time his wife would communicate with her husband. Just after four, she got the call that he'd been rushed to the hospital. The temperature had reached a blazing 115 degrees. This ring camera video shows 66-year-old Eugene Gates Jr. weighed down with mail in the midst of the extreme heat alert. You got a call alerting you to what was happening to your husband. I never would have thought that I'd get a call from his supervisor telling me that I needed to go to the hospital because my husband 
passed out. Carla Gates says her husband had been a dedicated postal worker for 36 years. He walked eight miles a day on his route. She says he was prepared for the heat, often taking a cooler of water and tea to stay hydrated. Yes, I do blame the postal service. No one, not just I'm not just speaking for my husband. No one should not have been out in that heat at that time of day. She lost the love of her life. I mean, we've been married, it would have been eight years in October, and now I'm planning a funeral for my husband. Bring me back in. All right. Uh, our condolences to the family. And uh, also we'd like to send uh, a message to the governor himself. When we start having people to to die like this and, you know, taking breaks and not taking the proper precautions, and some of this is obviously on us if we're out in the heat as well. But we, and I'm saying we, as people who direct people in government should hold them accountable when they make stupid decisions like that. And stupid decisions like that is to repeal a ordinance, a city ordinance, by saying you're the governor and you're saying that no, this is not what we're going to do. It's not Texas. It's, it's a mess in Texas. But that's what it is. That being said, it's the 4th of July, and I know uh, right now people are beginning to, to think about marinating the meat, putting the stuff on the grill, and hanging out with your friends and loved ones and that kind of thing. But, you know, one of the things that I always do uh, on the 4th of July is wake up early in the morning and play what is the fourth you know this past week we had juneteenth you know so we had juneteenth and you know what is juneteenth if you're african-american but what is the fourth of july if you are black today what is the fourth of july what is really the fourth of july when you're black today when we still have uh policemen shooting unarmed African-Americans down. What is the 4th of July when we have inequities in health care? What is the 4th of July when we don't have social justice? What is the 4th of July when we have food deserts? What is the 4th of July? It's a sham. That's what Frederick Douglass said. Frederick Douglass, Frederick Douglass, the great orator, had said this back in 1852. Now, I've you know, did my genealogy, and I've all of my genealogy goes back to the 1800s, and some of them to the 1700s. And I am amazed that a man such as Frederick Douglass, who was born a slave, self-educated, he didn't take any mess. So let me give you the background on this. They asked Frederick Douglass, as a slave, former slave, you have your freedom now. Can you speak to us on the 4th of July and tell us about how you value your freedom as a black person, as a person of color? I know you're happy. So Frederick Douglass must have saw the future. So they thought they was going to get Bobby McFerrin, don't worry, be happy. Instead, they got Chuck D. 
So, Gabe, I think you can play play the well, play the clip. Let's Today see. in this special broadcast, we begin with the words of Frederick Douglass. Born into slavery around 1818, Douglass became a key leader of the abolitionist movement. On July 5th, 1852, in Rochester, New York, Frederick Douglass gave one of his most famous speeches, What to the Slave is Your Fourth of July? He was addressing the Rochester Ladies Anti-Slavery Society. This is James Earl Jones reading the historic address during a performance of Voices of a People's History of the United States. It was co-edited by Howard Zinn. The late great historian introduced the address. Frederick Douglass, once a slave, became a brilliant and powerful leader of the anti-slavery movement. In 1852, he was asked to speak in celebration of the 4th of July. Fellow citizens, pardon me and allow me to ask, why am I called upon to speak here today? What have I or those I represent to do with your national independence? Are the great principles of political freedom and of natural justice embodied in that Declaration of Independence extended to us? And am I, therefore, called upon to bring our humble offering to the national altar and to confess the benefits and express devout gratitude for the blessings resulting from your independence to us? I am not included within the pale of this glorious anniversary your high independence only reveals the immeasurable distance between us. The blessings in which you this day rejoice are not enjoyed in common. The rich inheritance of justice, liberty, prosperity, and independence bequeathed by your fathers is shared by you, not by me. The sunlight that brought life and healing to you has brought stripes and death to me. This 4th of July is yours, not mine. You may rejoice, I must mourn. To drag a man in fetters into the grand illuminated temple of liberty and call upon him to join you in joyous anthems were inhuman mockery and sacrilegious irony. Do you mean, citizens, to mock me by asking me to speak today? What to the American slave is your 4th of July? I answer, a day that reveals to him more than all other days of the year the gross injustice and cruelty to which he is a constant victim. To him, your celebration is a sham. Your boasted liberty, an unholy license. Your national greatness, swelling vanity. Your sounds of rejoicing are empty and heartless. Your denunciation of tyrants, brass-fronted impudence. Your shouts of liberty and equality, hollow mockery. Your prayers and hymns, your sermons and thanksgivings, with all your religious parade and solemnity, 
are to him mere bombast, fraud, deception, impiety, and hypocrisy. A thin veil to cover up crimes that would, that would disgrace a nation of savages. There's not a nation of the earth guilty of practices more shocking and bloody than are the people of these United States at this very hour. At a time like this, scorching irony, not convincing argument, is needed. Oh, had I the ability and could reach the nation's ear, I would today pour forth a stream, a fiery stream of biting ridicule, blasting reproach, withering sarcasm, and stern rebuke. For it is not light that is needed, but fire. It is not the gentle shower, but thunder. We need the storm, the whirlwind, the earthquake. The feeling of the nation must be quickened. The conscience of the nation must be roused. The propriety of the nation must be startled. The hypocrisy of the nation must be exposed and the crimes against God and man must be proclaimed and denounced. James Earl Jones, reading the words of Frederick Douglass. All right, we're back. I think he brought it, didn't he? He brought the he he brought it, man. He just sat there and just let them have it. He said the storm. I don't think they invited him the next year to do the Fourth of July. <laughs> no, it was probably like he was shadow banned. You know, we don't. We're not gonna. No, we need a black person. Uh do you know any? No, we don't know any. What about, no, no, uh-uh, no, we're not going to do it. Just think about that. Frederick Douglass was born a slave, and he wrote that. He articulated that. He didn't stumble over his words like I did in the last segment. But, you know, what is so shocking about that is that he still had the veracity to say those things and people still were out to get them. See, that's what America's about. You can have your freedom and your liberty and people can still be out to get you. You want to see what a free black man looks like? Well, you're looking at him if you're looking at this radio podcast. Because, see, that is the same type of way in which I've dealt with America all of my life. I know it sounds like Oprah Winfrey. All my life. But it's real to me. Like we used to say, it's real in the field. That's right. It's real in the field because for me, the 4th of July is about liberty. 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 Liberty Harrison. Born a slave in 1781. Died 1883. He's born a slave. Died a freed man. When I think about the 4th of July, I think about him. Because he is me. And I am him. 
because that was my ancestor. Thanks to research I've done, we actually saw the slave schedules of where he was at in North Carolina and who owned him on something such as this, a piece of paper. We saw also how he wanted to get married because they did not value families. They, you know who they are, because they sold away families. Mothers from children, children from mothers, fathers on another plantation, that kind of thing. But he wanted to marry his wife when he was 60 years old. 60 years old. But he continued to live beyond that time frame and died when he was 102. And I looked at the slave schedules and I saw the slave schedules and everything. And I got to thinking about it. At one point in time, they wanted to, to, to have slaves to be indebted to that slave master for 100 years. That means he would have only been free two years. Go figure. But I'm doing the things he couldn't do. And I recall, and then we go to the next segment, I recall one time when I was at work, what had happened was that the manager had came to me at work and, and spoke to me in a term that I thought was offensive. And not only did he speak to me in a term that I thought was offensive, he did this in front of my subordinates. And I informed him that I would not have him talk to me that way in front of my subordinates. And if he wanted to speak to me, my office was down the hallway or I could go to his office. Either way, but we were not going to have a conversation like that, an open conversation in front of the people I managed. That's a free man. That's not a slave in the field taking orders from an overseer. But see, that is the indication of how it is still in America today. Even in corporate America today and having what my grandmother used to say, quote, a good job, you could be treated like a field you insert the word. We're going to come back after we play some music, and we're going to talk about some other people who brought the heat, like Fannie Lou Hamer. All right? radio show we, we man we digging that vibe man you you uh 
that's saxophonic funk, ain't it? Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna have to tag her with that too. Let her know that you know that we play local music. I'm pretty sure they didn't they didn't kick us off of that one, but you know perhaps they did. But I'm not worried about it. Not worried about it because I know there's hope. Because I'm going to take this to the Supreme Court, and I know Clarence Thomas is going to be on my side, right? Well, okay, so much for that. But, you know, when you end up having people that speak out for justice, and they speak out for justice all the time, you don't worry about people like Clarence Thomas or managers who try to give you directions and you don't worry about that. You just keep marshalling on along. You keep soldiering along like the Buffalo Soldiers. You keep doing that. You know, Fannie Lou Hamer is one of those people who, who did that. She was born on a plantation in Mississippi. That's right. And she was a freedom fighter, the Mississippi Freedom uh, Party that she founded because, the well, the Democrat Party they were a bunch of white supremacists, you know. And that being said, you know, she was on the side of making sure that there would be equity in the political system in uh, Mississippi. And we had a, a good ally in the White House at that time, uh, President Lyndon Baines Johnson, a good ally. Sometimes uh, allies are not permanent. You know, that's what Frederick Douglass said. You know, no permanent allies, just permanent interests. And the permanent interest in this one is freedom. I got Gabe working overtime. He's been picking up these clips and everything. I don't know where he get them from. But, Gabe, let's, let's run the clip. The testimony before the Credentials Committee, the FDP had a lineup of very different people. They had Rita Schwerner, the widow of Mickey, who had been killed in Neshoba County. They had Martin Luther King. Everybody knew King. The seating of the delegation from the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party has political and moral significance far beyond the borders of Mississippi or the halls of this convention. But the highlight of the testimony was that of Fannie Lou Hamer. The sharecropper who had been evicted from her plantation had come to symbolize the Mississippi movement. Mr. Chairman, and to the Credentials Committee, it was the 31st of August in 1962 that 18 of us traveled 26 miles to the county courthouse in Indianola to try to register to become first-class citizens. We was met in Indianola with the president, Lyndon Johnson, he's not afraid of Martin Luther King's testimony. He's afraid of Fannie Lou Hamer's testimony. And so he decides that the country should not see her testify live. Johnson is in the White House, and he convened an impromptu press conference. We will return to this scene in Atlantic City, but now we switch to the White House and NBC's Robert Gorowski. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. On this day, nine months ago. He did it knowing that they would break away, thinking he might announce who his choice of vice president was going to be. 
Instead, he gets up there and he announces, get this, he announces that it's nine months to the day since, since Governor Connolly, who was there, was shot along with President Kennedy. So he announced a nine-month anniversary. Everybody's scratching their heads. Thank you very much. And then he leaves. And by that time, Annie Lou Hamer's testimony was over. However, it backfired on Johnson because it became a story that she had been taken off television and in the news that night and for, for days afterwards, they replayed her testimony. I was carried to the county jail and put in the booking room. They left some of the people in the booking room and began to place us in sale. She had Mississippi in her bones. Martin Luther King or the SNCC field secretaries, uh, they couldn't do what Fannie Lou Hamer did. They couldn't be a sharecropper and express what it meant, right? And that's what Fannie Lou Hamer um, did. And it wasn't too long before three white men came to my cell. One of these men was a state highway patrol. He said, we're going to make you wish you were dead. All right. That's very powerful right there. That is powerful, powerful, powerful. Freedom Summer. And we need to have a Freedom Summer every summer. And that's why you're listening to this show. And Fannie Lou Hamer. Uh, well, she's still teaching today, if you will, because we are heirs to that. I'd like to send a special shout-out to all of those people who attend Friendship West Church. Friendship West, uh, well, uh, well, let's look at this. I, I, I have it right here. Over at Friendship West, uh, Fannie Lou's classroom was hosted by Reverend Daniel Ayers. And Reverend Dan- Daniel Ayers has her podcast on every Thursday at 12 noon Central Time. I'm going to say it again. I want to make sure that people uh, not only support the Commission Radio Show, but also support other shows that are doing things out there. They didn't know I was going to do this like this. I waited three months to do just this. I wanted to have this intentionally. My daughter has told me about doing things intentionally. You know, like Mike Tyson used to say, Throw a punch with bad intentions. Have have each punch done with specificity. Well, I can't say the word right now, but I think you got it. But be uh, specific in your intentions, rather. So, Fannie Lou's classroom, which is hosted by Reverend Daniel Ayers, airs every Thursday at twelve noon. Fannie Lou's classroom, hosted by Reverend Daniel Ayers, airs. Every Thursday at 12 noon. And once you slow your roll, you'll be able to get all this in. So you can look at it on YouTube. So they gave me this, and I will start using this uh, book to uh, put my notes in. So I'm going to tag her with it as well. Uh, shout out to, as I said, all of the people over at Friendship West. And also I have a book bag. Open this book bag up. What do you put in a book bag? Books. Where do you go at? You go to class, of course. Texas. Tula Sama 
the book festival, which is at the African American Museum, is coming up. Uh, Dr. Julianne Malvo will be there. So uh, we want you to go to the Tulasama uh, uh, Book Festival as well. So take a look at that uh, when, it, when it comes time. But we just want to drop this inf information into you since we no longer have a, a KKDA to give you community news and we no longer have KHVN to give you the community report. This is where you come to get it, the Commission Radio Show. Please share this. Tell people what we're doing in the community. That's the reason why we want you to go ahead and do those donations so we can continue to give our our mission as well. And I have this shirt as well from Friendship West in Fannie Lou's classroom. And wow, look at this. All right, we got that one too. All right, so we have that as well. We want to go ahead and make sure that we show that to people uh, that we actually support other other people who are in the fight for social justice. And Friendship West is one of those leading churches that does that. So I want to go ahead and send a, a shout out to all of those people over at Friendship West as well. And also the people at Fannie Lou's classroom as well. As we get ready to go to our close, we'd like to uh, thank all of those who were listening in to the show uh, because we know you could have been doing something else. It's Saturday. Uh, it's the middle of the day. But we do want you to share this. We do want you to share it because shadow banning justice in America is not what we need to do. And we do not need to do that. And that is what some people are doing. If they don't do it uh, on any of the social media platforms, then they're actually doing it in the courthouse. They're actually doing it there. They're also doing it in the boardrooms. They're also doing it there. So what is your fourth? What does it mean to me? It means that I need to get up that morning on the 4th and still fight for justice, something that my great-great-great-grandfather didn't have, Liberty Harrison. He did not have that. But it's something that I exercise every day. I exercise it every day because I believe in America and in America that that's better than what the America we have today. So let's play some music, and uh, hey, we'll see you guys back next week. we also see you at Pan-African Connection uh, at 4116 South Marsalis, where we will be doing the, uh, well, we'll be doing, moderating the event regarding uh, Buffalo Soldiers and the Trail of Justice. All right, we'll see you back next week. Mm -hmm.